It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Next up, we have Jess Phillips, who, as you know, is a Labour MP and Shadow Minister, and might find herself even more busy in a year or so if polls stay in her favour. But during the pandemic, she launched a podcast which allows her guests to tell their loved ones what they mean to them. The podcast isn't political in tone. So how did it come to be and why do it? Fee Glover and Jane Garvey will be asking the questions and have been hosting, fortunately, for BBC Sounds for five years, but last week announced they are leaving the BBC for Times Radio. So please welcome Jess Phillips, MP, Fee Glover and Jane Garvey. thought this through like where we were going to sit and that very slick wasn't yep. it? <laughs> you've got a Jess Phillips sandwich going on will you be alright well Jess what would you prefer or what do you prefer the gentle world of podcasting <laughs> or the hurly burly of politics I like them both um, good answer yeah uh, that's like a Lib Dem answer isn't it a little bit in the middle Sitting on a sort of slightly uncoloured chair. Do you want to change? Would you no, feel more no, no, no. Yes, up by red? I can only sit on a red chair. I like that the podcast, which is essentially an invitation for people to be nice to each other, is a nice break from the fact that most of my job is people criticising me and me criticising them, which is, you know, gets a bit wearing at times. So it's quite nice to invite people to talk about the things that they like, especially from opposition. My job is to whinge. That's literally the job. Whinging. Like being like, you're not doing this properly. Everything's terrible. Talking about really, you know, going to the worst possible case example to prove your point. That it is quite nice to, you know, have people come on and talk about, you know, nice things in their life and the people that they love. Yeah. How did the podcast start? Was it, was it your very own idea? 
Um, the honest answer is no, it wasn't my very own idea. I'd like to say that I'm always going to be honest within reason. The first thing I'm going to say is that you're, you, you're mixed up on there. Your name. Oh my God! <laughs> There's a level of honesty for you. I just looked down and I thought, That's I've always hilarious. thought it was the other way around. <laughs> you That's, didn't even notice. I didn't notice. I was quite happy with the change. Um, happy with the change, yeah. Okay. So during lockdown, um, I had one particular really nasty case of a woman who I, I didn't know her very well, a uh, lovely um, Geordie woman who lives in my constituency, and I, I'd only ever really met her because we sat next to each other at the carol, the annual carol concert at uh, Yardley Old Church, um, and she rang me basically, and she had her, her, put her husband in an ambulance and never seen him again. He died of COVID. This was in like week two or three of the pandemic. And because we didn't know anything then, her son and daughter were like rapping on the door trying to get to her in this traumatic time. But because she'd been exposed to COVID, she was absolutely terrified. And she was like, she was ringing me and saying, I'm bleaching everything. I'm like scrubbing my skin. I'm going ki- to kill my kids if I see them. And I'm just going to lock myself away. And I found this case so harrowing of this woman just like overnight, her whole life totally changed, not knowing what to expect at all. And so I wrote a letter to my husband and my children and my friends. And I told my friends to do the same because it was like a sort of shocking realisation that any one of us could just be put into an ambulance and taken away. Um, and we'd never have got to say the things that we wanted to say to them. And I tweeted about it. And Audio always got in touch with me and said, oh, would you be interested in coming and talking to people about who they would write these letters to? Because uh, I think it's like a nice way to get people to talk about their loved ones without them having been dead. So that's always nice, isn't it? Do you imagine what your funeral will be like? Oh, well, yeah. All the time, me too. Any long car journey, I listen to the songs I hope will be played. Mm. I used to think I might qualify for one of those memorial services at All Souls outside Broadcasting House. You've oh, completely yeah. blown I'm not so sure now. now, to be honest. <laughs> do you think I will, Nat? No. No, I don't think so. I no. think you're. Times uh, Radio House, maybe they'll do one outside there. Maybe just at a news agent's with a very small pile of the paper. <laughs> I, every time we in the Parliamentary Labour Party, uh, every time a previous member of Parliament dies, we do like a minute silence and then somebody does a, uh, uh, like a, a bit of a speech about them. Yeah. And uh, every time when the clock is ticking as somebody's died, I think people will be standing in this room for me one day. Yeah, well, I'll, be, I'll be dead one day and they'll be standing, um, listening awkwardly, hoping their phone doesn't go off in the minute silence. This is I all like. really <laughs> cheerful stuff, isn't it? Um, I just want, you know, you talk about um, the lady who is in such distress contacting her MP. It's that side of politics that people don't really understand, isn't it? Because, yeah. we, you know, we watch politics live or whatever it might be and listen to our podcasts of choice about all the all the awful stuff in politics, but the human stuff that you're obliged to do in your constituency is off the scale, actually, isn't it? Sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's some that don't bother, but by and large, the vast majority do. The human element of uh, being a member of parliament is the bit that nobody actually knows about. Like, most people hate members of parliament except their own one because they once have to go to them for something. Yeah. It's like being a social worker, essentially. 
Uh, and I run my office like a community centre because the Tories closed all the community centres in my constituency. So I'm literally the only state-funded building left. Welcome to Tory Britain. But the... Are you allowed to be freer now that you're not on the BBC? Yes. yes. Oh, God, yeah. You're let free. We uh, but we're still in the very early stages. Yeah, of so you haven't transferred into saying, yeah, like, so, you know, yeah. I think this dress is really weird. a little bit like when you come out of a hostage situation, you have to go <laughs> to the safe house and debrief yourself yeah. for quite a long time. I'm not sure we're quite out of that yet. Yeah. But we're getting there. We're getting yeah, there. gosh, it must be hard. Have any of your constituents been at all uh, surprised or bothered by the fact that you've entered a different kind of arena well one of them is one of the producers of it so uh, <laughs> um, no no they're, they're not bothered at all they're bothered if they can't see you if they can't see you when they want to see you then they'll be like oh she's I mean obviously the people who don't like me already say the thing that they will use it but they were never going to vote for me anywhere anyway it's very very in the media and in politics you have to learn not to give a toss about the people who are going to hate you regardless like in fact lean into it a bit make them hate you more but no my constituents aren't asked <laughs> you know like uh, you often get this, like, if you do, like, a cover shot on, like, the Times magazine or something, and they make you wear a jacket that costs more than the average mortgage in your constituency. You don't get it. to keep that jacket, by the way. More's the pity. Um, people are like, what would the people in your constituency say? And I think if you said to the people in my constituency, do you want to dress up in really expensive clothes and have your photos taken? They'd be like, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, you know, they're... they're, they're they like it, by and large. They like. They also like having somebody who's a bit of a celebrity as their member of parliament. They're like, Alan, that Jess is at the door. Can you believe it? <laughs> She's knocked on the door. Alan, come down. And has there been something good for you personally in just being able to slightly change gear and be something else? Because on your podcast, you're very much a host. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah. yes. That is nice. Yeah. It is nice. And actually, the skill is the same. The years and years of dealing with people's traumatic situations and dealing with, um, like, basically being able to ask people the questions that are unaskable. Because, you know, when you're, you know, interviewing people and you have to be, you know, sort of push them to get an answer, like, I have to ask people if they've been ritually raped. And I have to ask people if, like, you know, they're immediately safe in the next 24 hours. So I have, I have an incredible... Uh, like lack of filter with asking people questions about their life because I've spent decades doing that. Um, and also there is something about the hierarchy of being a member of parliament, even with the people who come on the podcast, that you have a certain level of authority that people feel like, oh, I can tell you. Like it'll be all right if I tell you these things. People are always crying on it. I mean, that's nice. I'm not slagging them off. They're crying in the conversation. They're quite intimate, those conversations, yeah. aren't they? So it's rather nice that they cry or feel able to cry. Um, can we just ask a little bit about the sisterhood at Westminster? Mm -hmm. How much of a level of sisterly support is there for the current Prime Minister? Oh. Across, I mean, across... Because there, there are real Definitely. friendships, aren't there, across... Oh, yeah, across oh, yeah, yeah, the... yeah, there are. I'm not sure. Like, there's this big thing made of Therese Coffey and Liz Truss being best mates, and I can't say I ever noticed that before she was the Prime Minister, but um, apparently that's the case. I wrote um, an article during the leadership contest that said, stop calling Liz Truss stupid, because 
I don't think she's any stupider than Boris Johnson, but it gets thrown at her a lot more. And there, there is an element of, you know, blonde woman going to call her stupid. So there is an element of, after her first PMQs, funnily enough, Lisa Nundy, I was like that, well, she was wooden, she was rubbish. And Lisa Nundy was like, I thought she answered the questions. Like, there is an element where the women are going to cut her, not cut her slack. The, the where Liz Trust falls down is that she does absolutely fuck all for any woman in the country. Well, yes. So, um, we, we don't feel able to completely agree with that. that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you will. Six. Don't worry. Give it time. Okay. When your mortgage has gone up. Um, but, the, you know, that's the problem, is that your sisterhood can't just be extended one way. So, my sisterhood actually was quite heavily extended to Theresa May, because actually she did try and put in place policies that were feminist that were for victims of domestic abuse, that were for victims of modern slavery, that, that took account of parental leave and things. She did try. I mean, she was completely hamstrung by lots of things, other events. But, yeah, with Liz Truss, like, she, she has so far, in one day, taken the biggest transfer from purse to wallet in her budget, where the people she's hitting are part-time working women, and the people she's giving money to are the richest men. So my, my sorority <laughs> is on thin ice. Okay. It's being stretched to it breaking point. It is quite point. a stretch. It Do is quite a stretch. Do you listen to lots of the political podcasts that are out there at the moment? They're many and varied. They exist, I think. I think they're most of them are highly listenable too, but that's because I live outside the Westminster bubble. So I yeah. feel they're telling me something new. But as someone I do. who I knows do. all of that... I do listen to them, like Newscast and uh, now the new one, now the other people who have been free from the BBC. The news agents. Yeah. News agents, agents. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, but more the ones like... I mean, like she really lent in, didn't she, immediately after leaving the BBC? Emily. Yeah, <laughs> she really, really lent yeah. in. Uh, Perhaps a bit... Maybe a bit braver than yeah. us. What do you think? No, don't say it, Jess. No, 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 I don't think it's necessarily that. I don't think she'll be back for the wreath lectures, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but He's the, still the, hoping to get the odd freelance gig at the BBC. But more, <laughs> more the, you know, the, the ones like Alistair Campbell's and Rory Stewart's, where they're discussing hmm. politics. With I don't a kind listen of, to that, I'm afraid. No, okay. uh, I don't listen to that. I find Rory Stewart a bit paternalistic, if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, and I find some of it a bit boyish. Not that one, because I've never actually listened to it, so I don't know. Uh, I'm just taking him at face value from previous experience. Uh, I'm sure it's very good. I don't, it's like when I worked in domestic abuse services, people used to say, did you watch that amazing documentary? And I thought, no, I watched The Bake Off. Because like, I, I, I like whimsy at the weekend. Yeah. Mm. But, but do you think podcasts are doing something interesting? Oh, 100%. In, in the space of politics. Yes. In the space of politics, for a start off, what they are able to do, which um, actually, programmes like Women's Hour, I always felt did this, but that political news doesn't give any room for nuance and conversation and understanding. And I think we've babied the British public that they can't understand complicated, difficult issues. Like the idea that any policy that you could pass is great for everyone, is just for the birds. And I don't think that the British public are stupid. And yet the, the, the sort of 24-hour news cycle that, that, that they have been fed doesn't allow for that nuanced conversation to happen. Whereas in the space of podcasting, that absolutely has been able to happen. People are able to discuss 
actual ideas. And you also because it's not necessarily you people aren't necessarily looking at it for news lines. Now, some things they will be, like the news agents, like every time they put on a podcast, what they are looking for is to land the line that's going to end up in five different newspapers the yeah. next day. And you can feel that from it, I think, which is fine because it's like a news programme that is contemporary. But you can go on and discuss ideas, for example, like... Uh, you know, a, a, a basic wage for everybody. Um, the idea of um, uh, of discussing different ways of, of parental leave without it being like, the Labour Party says all drugs should be legalised. And like, if I say something on the news about how drugs policy in our country isn't working, that will be the headline the next day. Whereas if I sit on a podcast and talk about drugs policy with experts in that field and people who have experience... It's a lot better. It's a, like you know, it gives space and and warmth and understanding to those subjects, which is really important. I think. Are there any questions from the audience that you would like to put to our three panelists? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, if you get in power in in a couple of years, uh, will that change how you're sort of the editor of your podcast and what you say? Will you be under more of a, a sort of whip or more restricted? Do you think? Yes. <laughs> What is your dream job in a future Labour cabinet? Which post do you hope to be offered? Justice or, se uh, or home is the areas that I really, really care about. Justice and home affairs. And what's the first thing you'd try and do? I mean, I, I would massively um, need to mainstream the idea of women's safety into every single government department because it it's literally just sits as a sort of byline, uh, a page in a manifesto. And if it isn't in welfare policy if it isn't in housing policy like it needs to it can't just be there look we care we gave a few million quid to refugees it has to be fundamental to uh, every government department so basically i want the job of pissing everybody off and saying why don't you care about women uh that's the job Would you i'd use like that voice Yes, Excellent. really specifically I will use that voice. But yeah, there's no doubt about it. If I was a government minister, I... And actually, that is a, that is a, it, it's a good question in the sense that then I have to make a decision because like, the, the desire to be able to think something, want a policy and get it to happen. Actually, if I was a minister, arguably I'd be in a better position to do that. But because I have a voice that exists outside of politics... Like, which is the best way for me to use my voice for the ends I seek, both for the Labour Party and for the country? And it might not be being a minister. It might be that, I, you know, being a rabble-rouser um, and cutting through is more important and I have to make that decision. But I want to be a minister for a bit. <laughs> Please give it up for our wonderful panel. Thank you to Jane, Jess and Fee. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Jess, um, let's first of all, we're here principally to talk about that journey from parliament to podcasting just for the people that don't know as well what are the three categories uh, because you, you 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 want people to write a letter to, yeah, to a, s- somebody who means the world to them um which people struggle with because they think that if they say that somebody means the yeah. world to them that means that they hate everybody else <laughs> in their life and they're going to be pilloried by them um somebody who's no longer with us and somebody who doesn't realise the effect that they've had on you, like who wouldn't ever know that you felt that way about them. It's a beautiful one because I, I actually did mm-hmm. your podcast and I did my mum and Terry Wogan. And, <laughs> but the, but the, the one that was most affecting to me was, because I thought, thought on that idea of somebody who doesn't realise what an impression they've made on you. And it was my first girlfriend's dad, That's JD, you. because... When I was just finishing college, I, I just felt utterly hopeless, and all my friends were doing better than me, and he was always the one who believed in me and stuff like that. And I just want to let you know that that was a transformational thing. I don't see JD all the time, but he, I got a, a, like a, a little oh, t- a note from him afterwards saying, "Looking great, that. Thanks for saying that, oh, mate." You know, that so it, it nice. really does bring people. That was JD, by the way. Kim, what? Did your mum feel better that you'd said that she could cook? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, years she was, of her saying that. You... Thirty years of hurt. We don't talk about that episode of Ready Steady Cut, <laughs> where I called my mum a rudimentary chef. We've moved on from that. I mean, what, what about people? What about, what are the transferable skills between you, your day job, as it were, and what you do in your podcast? Or is it I mean, semi permeable? Com- it is completely transferable. Um, I have to tolerate less dickheads in uh, <laughs> doing the podcast. <laughs> um, considerably fewer. It's just hard to get her to open up, though, isn't it, Jess? That's the problem I always get. It's like um, so political about stuff. But um, look, the, the reality is, is there's a, there's something about having, and whether people when they come on realise it or not um there is something about the way that i am a bit famous not it's not the fame bit it's the fact that i have a status in society because i am an elected representative and it's the same way my constituents feel about me or people who write to me they there is it's a reverence that people don't even know that they have that imbues weirdly you're going to think that this is weird that you're, trust, you're trustworthy and that there is a level of... Com- almost like a level of confidentiality when they're talking to you. Um, like a priest or something. Like a priest. It's a similar it's like kind of confessional priest. thing. Yeah. Um, and so the, tra- the main transferable skill, which largely comes from years actually before being a member of parliament and working with incredibly vulnerable people and expecting them to sort of bear their soul to you within the first five minutes of them meeting you... Um, is, uh, you know, I have to do that all day, every day. People come to my office mm. 
in their hundreds every week to tell me their deepest, darkest fears and the things that they've been frightened to yeah. admit to other people. Um, and so you, you have to learn very, very quickly the sort of techniques of making people open up and feel that... Uh, and, and usually it's, it's asking very, very basic and simple questions. Like people... I worked for years with victims of domestic violence and people think that you can go to training and be trained to say, oh, you know, to, to, to be brave enough to ask the question about if somebody's a victim of domestic violence. But all you have to do is say, is everything all right? Mm. <laughs> it's not rocket science, actually, um, to get people to tell you things about them. Uh, and what I found on the podcast is that people will immediately uh, act with me as if that we've been friends for years yeah. and years and years. And there's an element that people think that they know you, like anybody uh, in the public eye. But, um, but it's just, I mean, often I'm sat in my conservatory wearing pyjamas, vaping away on the Zoom call. <laughs> so it seems like a relaxed environment. Um, what my, my husband says it's like living in a laudanum den. A laudanum um, den. <laughs> um, because just, just plumes of cinnamon yeah, smoke everywhere. Smoke everywhere. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that it's really transferable, the yeah. idea that you have to get to people's, like, feelings about things very, very quickly and that they feel that they can trust you. Well, and trust and politics, that's... We've only got about seven minutes left, so I'm not, <laughs> not going to go there. But uh, that's a point I wanted to ask you about, like, uh, knowing people like political comedians and, and people like that, I'm always very struck by how... Uh, and, and, and MPs, how you seem to be really quite good at having quite friendly relations with people you are so diametrically opposed to, view-wise. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm thinking of somebody like Ian Dale, maybe, or I, yeah. I heard that, that the, the one that you did with him. I'm presuming that you've got slightly different views on a lot of things. Oh, plenty, yeah. And um, how, what's, what, how, does, how do you guys do that? Because it, it seems that that's a skill that we should be, but we should we do well to learn in... Look, I think that lots of people, if they were to come into the House of Commons, it's an office where you're working. Like, everybody works with people they don't like, actually, in real life. People, like, you know, for some people, it's like Alan from accounting. For me, it's Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but do, do you have those moments, though, like, with people? Are, do, are there people that we'd be surprised to see you having a drink with? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you'd be like, oh, fucking hell, I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, not just other political um, rivals, um, but in fact, like journalists. So, as I was saying, my friend came in and we were sat in the next to the press lobby gallery and all the journalists are there. And there's a bloke from the Mail on Sunday sat in front of me and he, he's written some fair, if not critical or maybe unfair articles about me. And he's like, I'm saying to him, oh, you know, is, uh, Brendan has been anything more on the reshuffle. And he's like, oh, let me just check for you. And we're just chatting with each yeah. other. And my friend is like, oh, oh my God. Like, yeah, that's male. interesting, isn't it? Um, uh, but you, you, you're working together and you have to be pragmatic if you, want, if you care about an outcome. So the ability for me to talk... I'm much more interested in talking to people who don't agree with me mm. because it's a waste of my time as a politician to, be, to talk to people who do agree with me. You're already going to vote for me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah Like, I've got you in the bag. Um, <laughs> no offence, like, it's nice to say <laughs> hi. Uh, but, like, in my constituency, people have absolutely cracking, absolutely the weirdest, most diametrically opposed views to me. But still just like you know brenda 
Yeah. It brings me a healing angel whose head then fell off. Um, Did it? Yeah. That's a shame. It's on my desk, though, headless. So <laughs> still, I think, has got some healing qualities. Um, but, like, you know, people are fascinating to me. I'm fascinated by those people much more so. And so when I sit down on the podcast to talk to people, like people who have come from completely different worlds to me, I don't believe there is a single person in the entire world that I couldn't find some something that me I had in common with them some common ground. Like, and when you do you do it on a doorstep so like you, somebody opens the door and they're like oh great are you Jehovah's or politics either mm. I don't want to talk to uh, and so immediately you know I've learned all the names of flowers for example I'm like great peonies Gosh, oh that's you. good that's a good in isn't it or, like, and you, you've, you've got, got to find, find some common ground you can have a conversation with even with people who are nothing like you. And it's, the world would be better if everybody was like that. Yeah. But I think most people are. I think it's a myth that we're not all doing this. We're all doing it. We're just, it's not quite so noticeable because, you know, it's not like me and Jacob Rees-Mogg in, in, in your office. But Jacob, interestingly, Jacob is on the next episode of your season. <laughs> isn't he? And he would do it if I asked him, I think. Um, he probably would. That, he wouldn't want to hear It'd be that. like Margaret Thatcher, the Queen. Yeah. Um, it would be like, I bet you in every room in his house he's got a picture of the Queen. And I'm not even saying that as a joke. I bet you. Yeah, yeah. But your common ground could be talking about moat maintenance or something yes. like that, couldn't it? My husband always says to me, why did you get into politics at this point? We could have had a moat. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. What about a duck house? <laughs> I don't even Heated know. Heated by the public purse. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's have another clip, actually, but again, because it's just nice to illustrate what's going on here. We're talking about drawing stories out of people and, and difficult stories. I think there's a clip of Issy Sutty talking about grief. So I think for a while I could only think of him in hospital and being really ill, and they look very different, don't they, when they're ill and it's... Yeah... It must be to do with your brain. I meet a lot of people who are bereaved or have had terrible times, obviously, at my job, and often very extreme bad things are the things that cross my path. I learned that, you know, I, I hated people saying sort of everything happens for a reason, platitudes and things like that to me. And so, and all oh, your mum's in a better place. And I just think, what, where's better than here with me? That's, yeah, that is very affecting to hear that. I mean, what... You ask people to share these letters that they wish they could send, and you've been—it's been about a year and a bit, I think, since you've mm -hmm. been doing this, isn't it? What's what's the letter? What are your letters that have you already done one? Or I mean, apart from the ones to your yeah, I wrote them to my husband and my children, um, and and my mum would undoubtedly be uh, the person who is no longer, and, and and actually one of the things on the podcast that. Is, makes me able to talk to a lot of the people about, certainly about their grief, is the experience of losing my mum when I was quite young. Um, and so, yeah, I, it would almost certainly... Uh, sort of. I, I actually wrote a book, um, uh, just a tiny book. It's like 5,000 words. It's not a book, but it looks like a book on the shelf. Um, I mean, I've written other books. Um, but that was specifically... It was called Mother, and it was about my mum um, and what an amazing woman she was. So my mum was, um, when she was 25, she had two kids under two, and my nan had been blinded by... Um, she, she had no tears. 
because she'd taken a medication called Araldin uh, that was for a heart condition she didn't have. But she was a woman, so they don't test things to care about our phys physiology. Uh, and it had blinded her. And my mum set about getting the drug taken off the market from you know, a terrorist wow. house in the black country with two kids under two, no house phone. Uh, and by the time she finished her campaign, she had sued ICI, the biggest drug company in uh, the country, for £8.2 <laughs> million pounds by 1981. This was in the 70s. Uh, and she had found all the victims uh, of the, the tragedy around the country. And she's mentioned, funnily enough, the person, her mention, the only mention I've ever seen, they made a panorama about her, but she refused to ever let us watch it and taped over the VHS because she'd had a bad perm that day. Um, <laughs> Um, but she, the, the, the mention, the public mention you can find of her is from the, the MP for Birmingham Yardley at the time who praised the campaign and tried to find other people, help find other people. And just like, I'd like to write her a yeah. letter and say that I get to mention her name now because I am the, the MP for Birmingham <laughs> Yardley, the place where she grew up. So. Wow. And that's where it comes from, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. that's where it comes from. I read something else about you being a kid and you saw some other kid getting blamed for something that they didn't do and so yeah. you arranged some kind of sit-in or something. Yeah, we did a sit-in at primary school. <laughs> I was about seven. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's all there, isn't it? The firebrand stuff. A couple of minutes left. I mean, like, who... Who have you yet to get on the podcast that you'd like to get on? You've had me. So. I mean, you, you were the pinnacle. Uh, your episode was so much fun. Oh, yeah, I loved we it. We swore, swore more <laughs> yeah, when I was with you than with happens. anyone. I said the C word like five times. Just hope my dad hasn't She's listened. calling that me one. that. <laughs> uh, and you were talking about it being your 50th birthday. Yeah, you yeah. Was it in the end? Well, harrowing, harrowing. 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 said it was going to be harrowing. It was, it, it, and it continues to be. I'm not getting any younger. I'm literally sitting here aging in front of you like a, like a fruit Here's going Starmer off. Starmer turned 60 this week. Can you believe that? Starmer's 60? Starmer's 60. Newsflash. God, ben, ben Cooper is one of the, uh, the heads of, of one of the big media companies here. He's the spit from the back and the side of Kia. But he's, he's not aged as well. He's not aged as well. That's me, that, that's me not getting a fucking job anytime soon, isn't it? He's in! I didn't expect that! Do you know, I'd really, really like, funnily enough, when you talk about people I don't agree with, I'd, I, I would really, really, really like to have... Uh, and maybe he'll come on now. I would really, really like Boris Johnson. Would you? Um, not, not because I like him, but because what people see of Boris Johnson is nothing like my experience of him. He is incredibly shy. Um, he and I don't say I'm not saying this to humanise him. He's an appalling human being. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I I just don't think you know the the way that the public gets to see him isn't in any way real. I've never seen a glimpse of the real person who I've had to deal with in private ever. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like I would just not. It's not even like I would be better than, like, you know, eminent journalists. I just think I talk to him differently, but I don't have any reverence for him. And I, I wouldn't be mean. I wouldn't, but I'd just like to try and have a decent chat with him and get him to not even just answer the questions, that like, would be nice, but, like, 
sense of like maybe there isn't a real. I was going to say, do you think that maybe there isn't? He yeah. makes me think of Peter Sellers, Boris Johnson. Yeah. You know, in his in his less guarded moments, Peter Sellers used to say, "There is no Peter Sellers. I'm just I'm just mirrors. I'm just versions and different aspects." And it feels like that's even. I a bit think like that, that that is maybe the case because the person I have ever dealt with in private is is it's like he's terrified. Yeah. It's like he's frightened it's really really weird um difference to the way that he is presented and i just think that that would be fascinating would it be yeah. fascinating to at least try and well, get some it, sense of him this is what we've got to do next isn't it <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to work towards that i've got uh, his mobile number hey let's give him a ring now <laughs> absolutely I'll be, I'll be there in 15 minutes i've got fuck all else to do <laughs> um and just finally with 10 seconds left i've got you here i've got to ask We've mentioned the new prime minister. What 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 do you predict for the Labour Party and for the the future of the country over the next couple of years up to oh, the mean, general what, election? What I predict for the country is is it's going to be incredibly hard, and 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 even if the Labour Party win the next election, which I very much expect them to, um, the idea that we you can recover from 10 years of total degradation of every single service overnight. And so even uh, when I very much hope the Labour Party wins the next general election, it's going to have to be very much on the back of complete and utter honesty about the job ahead. Um, because you don't just make... Like Liz Trust had today in PMQs, I'm going to get ambulances picking people up again as if, like, you know, that's like... Oh, that's a very low fucking bar. Um, <laughs> like... Uh, <laughs> Like, great, we'll get ambulances on roads again. It's just like, oh, God, that's so bad that that's happened. But, like, you know, the, you, you can't just keep saying things to the public and expecting them not to be totally disappointed with everybody when you can't deliver it. So I think it, the Labour Party will win, and it has to win on a, this is what the next 10 years is going to look like, not the next 100 days or yeah. whatever it is. OK. Well, it was very lovely to hear that, to hear Sorry you speak... Swearing. Um, and if you haven't yet had the experience, uh, check out the Your Sincerely podcast. It is incredible and it's very moving and it's very funny and it's brilliant. Um, as is Jess Phillips. Thank you very much indeed. Huge round of applause. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Your Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.